Okay, welcome to episode 66 of the United Pubcast, another pubcast being performed behind closed doors, but it is sure to be another good one. But first of all, Larry, a bit of a quick question to start off the podcast. If you were stuck in quarantine for 14 days with one United player, who would it be if you had your choice? Ooh, that is a great question. Um... Ooh, it's a tricky one. I'm just trying to think who are the characters in the dressing room because you want to be with someone who's, you know, not, not going to be boring. Um, if I have to be stuck with you for 14 days, I need to know you have some energy about you because, you know, I want to be entertained. I want to play some cards. Um, the United boys used to play Uno. Is that right? I, I know Herrera um, was known for yelling on the bus. Ah, oh, you guys always playing effing Uno. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky one, mate. I think I'm going to have to go... I, I think I'm going to have to hang out with Martial. Is that a weird one? Oh, yeah, no, that, he would be well down on my list, I think. Uh, no, I just think he's a cool cat. Um, I think he'd be a good... Oh, uh, you know what? Jesse Lingard deserves a good shout. I reckon we'd have a great time. Um, I've always wanted to learn how to dance, and um, I think Lingard could give me plenty of lessons. I don't think he'll be boring by any means. Um, and you know what? I'd just be interested in a chat between, like, how do you put up with everyone's BS? Come in your way. Um, I'm going to say Lingard, mate. I, I just think, think he's the. Uh, I think it'd be too full on. It'd be too full on. There'd always be something happening. You wouldn't be able to really relax. You'd always be sort of on your toes, on edge. Oh, Don't I you think he'd give you that. a good game in FIFA though? Yeah, okay, but that's for twenty minutes. I'm, I'm, we're talking fourteen days here. Yeah, I don't know. I reckon he could cook up a good meal. Just gut feel. Well, that's right. I think, and this is a boring answer for anyone who knows me. Probably knows this one's coming, but I think it's got to be matter because one. He's mature, so you're not he's, you're not going to sort of want to kick his head in and throw him out the back door. I think, as you mentioned there, cooking, he's probably someone who can cook a bit of Spanish food. So I think um, I'll be well served there for 14 days. Don't have to deal with Do you want to be on tappers behavior. when you can't go outside? It's going to starve. Um, I don't know. The 14 days, it is, it is tricky. But uh, Lingard, no, I couldn't do Lingard for 14 days. He's... um. He'd do me head in. He does me head in enough on the pitch, and I'm one of his fans. So I can imagine how he'd be pissing me off in quarantine for 14 days. But hopefully that is not the case, and none of United's players do have to go into quarantine. But I think it's only a matter of time. I'm sure someone will fall ill of the virus, unfortunately, but I'm sure that'll be a discussion for another day. But as you saw on the title of the podcast... There's no football to talk about, so I think, actually, Vin on Twitter gave us the idea to talk about Solskjaer's rebuild and just sort of his time in in charge overall. So we thought with no football, we might as well take a little bit of time to sort of actually go back to, which feels like years ago, where Solskjaer actually took over, sort of that interim basis and just sort of all the pivotal moments along the way and how his position slash the suspension sort of is shaping his position up for the rest of the season. So I think we'll just go back to the start. Remember the game at Anfield where Mourinho was on the knife's edge? Mourinho, what did we lose? I think we lost 3-1, I think. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't forgotten yet. It was 3-1. Yeah, eventually sacked. And then the sacking came out of nowhere. It was like we all kind of knew it was coming, but we sort of expected the club not really to do anything. But eventually he was sacked the day after the game or the Monday after the match. And then it was a bit of a race. Okay, who's going to be the new manager? There was a lot of names thrown about. Um, 
I forget who the can who the front who the first candidate was. I forget who it was. Uh, but then, I think it was Laurent Blanc from memory. Yeah, I think it was on an interim basis. He was called, and then I think his issue was he won it on a permanent deal, but the club just wanted an interim basis. So, um, yeah. I think the first Mark Hughes was, was linked. Oh God, I hope not. But I think um, the first one I remember, I think, was Michael Carrick till the end of the season, and then Laurent Blanc's name emerged. And then just suddenly, it, it all very happened, all happened very quickly in the space of sort of six to 12 hours. Then suddenly Solskjaer's name sort of appeared, and then just, it was a natural feel like every fan was behind it. Obviously, we didn't know what was to come and what um, the final result obviously will be. But it was, it was a good feeling. Everyone said, yep, 100% behind Solskjaer until the end of the season. And it seemed to happen, I think, within a few days of the sacking, I think. Oh, I think it was within 24 hours. It all happened very quickly. Um, I think for United's point of view, I, I agreed with the appointment at the time. Um, we just needed someone to just bring a feel-good factor back. If you just remember the fan base, just toxic. And to be honest, Mourinho drove a lot of that. And yeah. for the people who support Mourinho, it's important to remember, take the results off, right? Like even under Solskjaer, we've seen that the results haven't always been perfect. But what you can say is he's always been up-tempo. He's always acted like a United fan and you know, United manager should. Always been respectful of the players and respectful of the fans. That's not something I could say to Jose, particularly towards the end of his reign. So it, it was funny. I actually agreed with something the Glazers and Woodward had done for once. Well, do you think, and obviously you didn't know he was going to go on the 10-game run and then it would go horribly south a few months later, but do you think the Glazers and Woodward was solely about PR and sort of not deflecting any blame or deflecting any attention, but just to get the fans on side or it was not a football decision at all? It's a funny one because I couldn't see Woodward or, even, in fact, the Glazers having, well, particularly the Glazers, having any idea who Solskjaer even is, yeah. right? Like, I couldn't see them drawing up a list and, oh, yeah, are they going to Solskjaer? Yeah, he's managed in Mulder. Let's get him in. I just can't picture that conversation. I couldn't. I'm actually thinking, was it Sir Alex who possibly threw a recommendation? Was it David Gill? Was it someone who's been in and around the club for a long time who just threw the suggestion out there? But then in saying that, Solskjaer, um, you know, if you listen to his podcast on with MUTV, he stated that he actually called Sir Alex um, and said, you know, do you think I should take it? That suggests to me that maybe Sir Alex wasn't the one who recommended him. But I think it was definitely an internal recommendation, definitely for PR. Um, and I think once it was proposed to the Glazers and Woodward, they were like, oh, the fans will eat this one up, it's particularly since we don't plan on making any signings in the January window. Well, which we definitely did eat up. And, yeah, it was just before – it was in December, wasn't it? Just before the January transfer window. And there was that whole, do you back an interim manager in the window or not? But we'll definitely get into his transfer business, which is sort of a big part of his um, tenure at the moment. But we might as well stick to when it was all very positive or – the first game was against Cardiff, was it? It was against his former club, wasn't it? It was a five win, uh, a five-one win, I should say, away from home. And yeah. what a what a game it was! I think the first time we scored five goals uh, since post Fergie. Yeah, well, there was that feel that I think in the, in that I don't know what it was a ten or eleven game run undefeated. I think there was nine or ten wins in there. A lot of it, I don't know why, but it, so many records seem to be broken. The goals scored or 
clean sheets or different goal scorers, etc. It just seemed every week we'll break in a different record, uh, as opposed to in previous years when we'll break in all the wrong type of records. And I think that initial run, while only short, it was a as I said, ten or eleven games, was an unbelievable feeling. Like just the shift in sort of emotion, that roller coaster of emotions from Mourinho to Solskjaer was um, crazy when you actually sit back and think about it. No doubt. And I think what a big part of that was, in fact, was Paul Pogba. Um, you know, remembering the end of Mourinho's reign, he pulled Pogba right out of the team. Um, he, from memory, he was on the bench um, for the Liverpool game that ultimately decided his fate. And then Solskjaer was like, I'm having none of that. I'm building the club around him. Brought him straight back in. And he just couldn't stop scoring goals, um, creating goals, scoring headers, long-range shots, you name it. It was the Paul Pogba we all thought we were getting. Um, and for that purple period there, he was unplayable. I'd even say he was the best player in the world at that time. Yeah, no, there was definitely in that initial period, yeah, there was a couple of games in there. I think there might have been Chelsea and Arsenal in there. I think he did. I think you would put him in that. He was the best, behind sort of that Ronaldo and Messi bracket. He was the best in the world, um, I think, clearly. I'm just trying to think. I don't remember Ender Herrera was really strong in there. Um, at that time, the, the midfield trio was almost Herrera, Matic, and Pogba from memory. Yeah, it was. Um, and Herrera, and like you've seen it this season, what an important player he was. We've just really missed, and you know, until Bruno's come in recently, which of course we'll get to, but just we really missed that work rate. And you know what? I'd love someone like a Herrera to come in. I just, I love a good shit house. I really do. And I feel like we lack a bit of that in this current team. And I think Bruno does have it in glimpses. But, um, yeah, that midfield three was brilliant. And who would have thought um, at that time, uh, if you said if, if someone said to you at the end of last season that would be your midfield three coming into this season, I actually think people would riot a little bit, particularly with Medic. But, yeah, Herrera was a very important part of that piece because it allowed Pogba to get forward, really. Well, speaking of someone who was an important piece for many years... Um, almost Solskjaer's first order of business was selling marijuana Fellaini. Yeah, um, you know what? I don't... Fellaini's not my favourite footballer. And um, I'm keen to see what you think, Tom. But he scored important goals for us. I'll, I'll give him credit there. He's just... I think, as United fans, we've just been spoiled, um, if, if lack for a better term, with watching footballers who are just brilliant and majestic and particularly midfielders you know we've been spoiled from brian robson roy Keane, michael carrick paul skulls ryan giggs and then maron fellaini doesn't quite fit in does it well look i think he actually when you go back and look back he he did contribute well at united especially in what was a very unsuccessful period for the club or we did win a couple of trophies but obviously by our standards but when you do look back as frustrating as he was as sort of the poorer symbol as he was, he sort of represented the David Moyes era, which sort of was a cloud hanging over the club. I think when you actually look back, he did do quite well for United, especially compared to some other players who came in for sort of a lot more money or a lot more sort of reputation. I think Fellaini sort of can hold his head um, quite high. But um, I think that was a real positive step for Solskjaer um, almost to really make a statement. Okay, and the next thing after selling Fellaini was probably the highlight under Solskjaer's reign, obviously, the PSG match in the Champions League. We obviously lost the first leg 2-0, and no one, 
I think was PSG our first loss that two nil match at Old Trafford. Uh, yeah, that was the first loss as part of uh, Solskjaer's reign. I th- believe we drew at Burnley. That was the first dent in the armor. But yeah, the first loss under. Yeah, so the wheels wheels definitely had Ollie at the wheel, etc. Obviously, hadn't come off then, but it was a bit of a. No one saw us going through like two nil away at PSG. I can't remember one person saying, yeah, I could see United getting an early goal and you never know. Even the most optimistic fan was just, look, let's see what happens. Let's hopefully we can keep it sort of respectful and sort of regroup. Because I remember we had an injury crisis. I remember Pogba had been sent off. Had a lot of players. I remember Jesse Lingard wasn't there. Juan Mata wasn't there. Had a lot of players injured who, um, I think, did Deleu play right back? Um, so I think Eric Bailly played right back for a little bit. And then Delo yeah, and then he got pulled off. Well, did he get pulled off in the first half? Yeah, earlier. Yeah. Or was it half time? He didn't play very long. Yeah, he was um, having a shocker. Yeah, it was and, bad. Uh, and, and then and he I think it was his first one. game back. I think it was his first game back, and they're out of position a little bit. And yeah, it was just a nightmare going into that game. And then we obviously got the first goal through Lukaku. We actually forget that Lukaku actually scored the two goals in that game. We all remember the winner for Marcus Rashford, but we do owe a sense of little, a little bit of gratitude towards Lukaku because. Obviously, it's a big moment in United's... I, I saw a couple of things on Twitter the last couple of weeks because we obviously just passed the one-year mark of the match. And I remember a lot of people saying, oh, how are we still celebrating a win in, against PSG when we didn't go on to win the tournament, etc.? It's a small club mentality. We should be celebrating trophies, not 3-2 wins in the round of 16, etc. But that moment, it is a part of the club's history. Like, I always look back, obviously, it wasn't around at the time. But if you look back to 1984, where United beat Barcelona in Europe, United didn't go on to win the trophy. But that's a mem- you ask any fan who was at that game, they say that's the greatest moment they've had supporting Man United because of that, the feeling in that match. And obviously this isn't on the same level, but can you sort of cast your mind back to that emotion? It was a Thursday morning here. I wasn't in tears, but my God, I was close to it. Like you were just shaking when Rashford was scoring that penalty. Football is about emotion, right? In fact, sport is about emotion. If we weren't emotionally invested, really, what's the point of watching it, right? It's no different to watching paint dry. I think, for me, that is the best moment we've had post-Sir Alex Ferguson. And that's including the Europa League win, which I thought was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. You know, we were there, um, all the Sydney um, United supporters group together at the start watching the game, but... Like, this moment, just because you did not give us a hope, like like you said it, like going into that second leg, away from home, Pogba was out, um, uh, Mata was out, which is missing players, and you're just like, there's not a hope. But then Lukaku scores. I think Ander Herrera was out as well. I think he might have been injured. So midfield yes, at the time sorry. Was, yeah, uh, that's who I was thinking of. Herrera was out. I think then had, Lukaku scores. I think our midfield, I then think our they midfield. score. I think our midfield three that game was Pereira, Fred, and McTominay. And at the time, it was a very different Fred. I think Pereira was almost our, not our main man in midfield there, but almost we sort of had him above Fred maybe a little bit. So, um, yeah, it was backs to the wall. And to be able to come away, you just mentioned there in terms of the best moment post-Fergie. Here's one for you. Would it be the PSG? And I, and I agree, I think it probably does top the Europa League, as important as the Europa League was. But where would you rank the PSG match and the FA um, Lingard's winner in the FA Cup final? Oh, I actually put the FA Cup win. I actually put it third. You know, if I had to rank it, it'd be yeah. PSG, 
winning the Europa League, Lingard's winner. Just because I know this sounds so weird, but in that um, FA Cup game, and I know we've kind of um, digressed a little bit, but um, I know we were down a 10 man. And, and we were, it was 1-1. I never felt like we were losing that game. It is the strangest football match I think I've watched in that sense. Um, Smalling got sent. We're down to 10. You never felt like we were losing. That's, that's why. It just it took a bit away from me. Just I thought we were losing. Every time Crystal Palace got the ball, I thought they were going to score. But as you say, we digress. Um, what were we saying about the PSG? Yeah, the Marcus Rashford penalty I just want to touch on quickly. I think from memory someone said it was his first penalty for United. And um, could you imagine? It was. The pressure, could imagine the pressure. I remember Buffon. Like, if there's one keeper you don't want to be facing for your first ever penalty, it's probably um, generally Buffon. And um, I couldn't imagine the pressure that he was under. But um, it was a textbook penalty before the penalty woes of this season hit. Um, it was a fantastic strike, and the celebrations. Like, you just. I remember what, that day. I must have spent six, seven hours at work just watching the penalty on replay. I think you need to find better hobbies, mate. Um, it's, it's a little bit concerning, actually. But look, I definitely agree with you. Um, for me, that that was the making of Rush. Um, I know we'll get into this season, but that was the moment where I said, okay, Rashford's a star now. Because it it takes more than talent to make it at this level, to be an elite footballer for a top football club where you're expected to win every game, to take your first penalty and you, you score it, you're through to the next round of the Champions League and you're 21 years of age. That is mental pressure. That's insane pressure for a, for an international with 300 caps behind them. I can't credit Rashford enough for that. And like just the hist- I remember being in the office. At the- it's one of those moments where you remember where you were. Um, and for me, I remember being in the office. I, I just I jumped up. I smacked my knees on the desk. I dropped my phone. My boss looked at me like I was an absolute moron. But... Jeez, what a moment. Well, you just said there that almost the making of Rashford. In terms of a career and a managerial career, it was very much the making, depends on which way you look at it, of Solskjaer because on the back of that, I remember he did that interview with Gary Neville where Gary Neville said, how many years would you like on your contract? What would you like your salary to be, etc." And there was a big, big push from fans because I think we're coming up to an international break and they were yep. saying, get it done, sign him up. And I think... Well, we look how it panned out a couple of weeks later or a couple of months later. It potentially looked like the wrong decision to a lot of fans. But at that time, even if you took emotion out of it, you couldn't not give him the job. It was just, it was like an audition. He was on a, like a, a 10 week job interview and he was passing with flying colours. Take all the emotion out of it. You almost still had to give him the job, I think. Yeah, look, I, look. I know we say take the emotion out of it, but as fans, that's the one thing we never do, and that's why <laughs> that's why we're not the chief executives. That's why we're not on the board making the important decision. Um, though I do think fan representation would be nice in some capacity, but that's a podcast for another day. I think he had to get the job um, based on, and the other thing we have to consider in all of this is, it was March. Um, you had players who like Pogba, like Martial, you had uh, Lukaku, you had players who had uncertain futures, particularly under the previous manager. So in terms of United shoring up their business to start doing their own planning for transfers and so forth, players coming in, players coming out, you had to have some sort of security, some sort of plan that, you know, that you could sell to these players. Um, So I don't, 
I don't think United took the wrong decision at the time. And I, to be honest, and I know we'll come to it, but I don't think it was the wrong decision even. Well, speaking just on there after, obviously, became a permanent their permanent manager almost the day he signed that contract the wheel started to fall off and we seemed to lose every single week in that top four challenge which it looked quite on I think we made up the gap I think we made an 11 point gap um, during his interim period we made that up on the top four and I think we might have even creeped into the top four for a week or two but then the wheel started to fall off and things started to sort of unravel and People were questioning his tactical ability and his sort of substitutions, etc. Everyone was saying, oh, had we jumped the gun? Should we have waited, etc.? It did get bad. And obviously not to the stage this season. I think a lot of the fans during that period gave him a little bit of leeway and said, no, nah, it's the players. Look at the players. They've given up or etc. They've, <laughs> they've run out of gas. They've put too much, Solskjaer's put too much strain on the body, so it's only natural they're going to fade off, wait till next season. But I think fans, and quite rightly so, did have concerns there. And it was almost that flip from Mourinho to Solskjaer, that shift in emotions. The shift in emotions with Solskjaer almost happened overnight as well. Since when he was from interim manager to the full-time manager, fans just almost just switched like that. Yeah. um, Look, it's a hard one because, like we've said, he started... So well, and well, he, we were he had just a lot flying, of, he had, but had a lot of credit in the bank. Yeah, I think that's the key point for me. And look, I think it was inevitable that drop off, particularly the way that we were playing with this high intensity football. And you know, you have to. I know I hate bringing it and relating back to Liverpool, but if you remember how Klopp started off with Liverpool, very similar situation. They played a very high press, very intense style of football. And if you don't do an off-season of that, and in fact, it takes more than an off-season. It takes probably a good 12 to 18, 12 to 24 months, I should say, to really embed that sort of fitness into players. When you look at it, all the travel they have to do, um, obviously, um, you went out to Perth um, in the in the preseason when United came out here. You see how much travel they have to do. Imagine having to put that level of fitness into the players when you don't have a settled period or a settled location to really put that sort of emphasis in. It's tricky, and I think that a drop-off was inevitable, particularly once we started getting a few injuries. Um, Martial was pulled out towards the end of the season. I don't even think he was injured. He just pulled him out just because he wasn't playing well, really. Um, from memory, Pogba was pulled out. There was a few players. Herrera, there was a few players not, um, not there, and... Unfortunately, yeah, led to us missing out on the top. Well, you just mentioned there, and in terms of players, I remember Herrera was a big one, and there was a lot of PSG rumours. Everyone sort of was under the impression that it might not be an injury, and he might have signed a pre-contract with PSG, which would have sort of limited his game time at United, which, who knows the ins and outs of it, but eventually did look like the right sort of theory that PSG was sort of saying, hey, don't play, etc., because he obviously signed the agreement with them. But just as we're saying there, Solskjaer, it definitely did go south. For whatever reason was the case, you could point the finger at a whole heap of different directions there. But I think everyone, even sort of, I wouldn't say his haters, were definitely as haters this season, but even his harshest critic, I think, gave him some leeway. I think that credit he got in those first two, three months definitely saw him through that rough patch. And it said, okay, let's see how he does with a transfer window and a budget. So you just mentioned there into Perth, um, I remember 
Harry Maguire hadn't signed for um, in time for the Perth tour, but I think we had definitely signed... Did we, James? Yeah, actually, there. Yeah. James and Wan-Bissaka were both in Perth. So um, I think we'll just touch a little bit on... Because I think everyone can agree one of Solskjaer's strengths... Well, not strengths, but one of the high points of his time at the club so far has definitely been his transfer business, both in and out. And we'll start on the ins at the moment. But um, I think we'll just do maybe a minute or two on each player. We've got... Um, just your thoughts on when Daniel James arrived, like your first initial, obviously we hadn't seen him play, but sort of a young player from the championship. Um, your initial thoughts on the signing and how he's done in the first, what would we say, maybe seven months now or into the season? Six, seven months? Yeah, I mean, you're probably better positioned to speak on Dan James than I am. Um, I know you're a great advocate for him. Um, look, I think Dan James, if you know what you were getting, I think he's done perfectly fine. A player from the championship, a young player, which I think is good to remember, he will get better, he will improve. People saying, you know, when you're 21, the player you are is, is the player you are. That's, that's absolute nonsense. Do you remember Ronaldo at 21 years old? Now, by any means, I'm not saying Dan James goes on to be Ronaldo. But what I'm saying is we need patience with players at times. And if you just look at Rashford, right, we look at what the season Rashford has had up until his injury. Do you remember people calling him Ra- um, Rashbeck, Trashford? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what happens when you give players time, they can develop. And with good coaching, it can happen. Dan James is rapid. I think he's brilliant in a counter-attacking system, particularly. Um, I think, and look, just most recently, the Manchester City game, you see, I think there are weaknesses to his game. I think he's a little bit too static for my liking. I'd like to see him add a, just a little bit more variety to his game. I think there are promising signs there to be a really good footballer. I think ultimately he is a squad player. Maybe he's played too much football. But all in all, I think he's had a rapid start, scored three goals in the opening four games, recently scored, and I think he'll be an all right player for United in the US. Yeah, well, I think pretty much everything you said there, but you look back on how we judge signings, and we judge signings very sort of harshly and I think in the wrong in the wrong sort of light of day because if he was a young player, could you imagine it wasn't a £15 million signer from Swansea and he was a, a young player coming through the 18s or reserves and he was performing like that? would absolutely love him. He'd probably be a crowd favourite. But because he has a price tag, he comes with a level of expectation we sort of critique him a lot more. But if that was, say, Brandon Williams coming on and having that type of impact or that type of performance, would love him. So I think Daniel Jones has been harshly treated by the fact that he is, while a very cheap sign-in in terms of the grand scheme of things, overall it's still a lot of money compared to a youth player who will be free. £15 million for someone who's never played in the league before is quite a bit of money. Now, speaking of quite a bit of money, Aaron Wan-Bissaka eventually came in and... I think is almost what you what's written on the tin. You got exactly what you got. We knew we'll get probably the best defensive right back in the league, and I don't think he's put a foot wrong since he's been at the club. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Again, I think, I mean, you could debate between him and Maguire, who's been you know the standout signing so far, but I think Wan-Bissaka has been brilliant. Uh, particularly again, another young player. We've seen his defensive capabilities, but what I'm really pleased with. Is is um, he's making a lot of advance in his attack. He's getting forward. He's come up with a few assists, um, particularly in the last few months or so. And I think he'll, in not very long, I think he'll be the best fullback in European football. Well, I think we almost forget, a little bit like Daniel James, almost forget that 
how young he is. Like we think, oh, this big fifty million pound sign, and we expect this. We need that from him. Well, no, he's a young player. Could you imagine he he's coming through Crystal Palace as a youngster? Could you imagine what Crystal Palace fans expect from a youth player at right back? They'd expect absolutely nothing from him. But suddenly that player is at United, and we expect the absolute world from him. So um, I think Wan-Bissaka has done absolutely perfect, almost sort of, I'll almost give him a 9 out of 10 so far this season. Yes, he does sort of have his limitations going forward, but I think he's been absolutely fantastic. Now, someone who's definitely split opinion in pre-season before we had signed him and even during his time at the club, but he's um, worked his way into being the club captain, Harry Maguire. Now, I remember at the start of the, I remember doing these podcasts during the off-season it seemed every week the topic was centre-backs was either Maguire, um, Koulibaly or Delit, And Maguire, I think, was probably third for all of us. I think for a lot of people, he was sort of lower down the list. But it was such a problem area, we're happy to just have anyone in. But I think since he's come in on and off the pitch, OK, he's not the best centre-back in the world. You know, a lot of defenders aren't. But I think a little bit like Wan-Bissaka, he has not put a foot wrong. Like we can, obviously, you can question some performances. Some performances haven't been great. He's made a couple of errors. But that's part of being a footballer. You've got to make a lot of errors. But I think overall, from what you'd expect, I cannot fault him at all on on and off the pitch. I agree. I think for a lot of the season, he was just you know doing a bit more than okay. But particularly in the last... I want to say this started... Probably in the turn of the new year, he's just really started to dominate game, and that's I think what we were all waiting for. Probably I can't say he's the been... captain's armband. Yeah, it it probably did coincide with that. I think the first dominant display I saw was the um, the second tie against Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. That mm. was the game where I said, "Oh, okay, he's having a really dominant performance here, where everything that came his way he just well," uh, and then he's just kicked on from there. Uh, the Chelsea game really stands out for me um, in terms of his most dominant display. Uh, there was a game not too uh, not, not too long ago that I probably thought was his best game overall. Anyway, um, but yeah, look, I can't disagree with you. And you know what? For people who say he's not a world-class centre-back, I'm sorry, mate. I think he is. I really do. I think Van Dyke's the best at the And I think Koulibaly's probably better than Harry Maguire. But outside of those two... Can you honestly tell me there's another centre-back that is better than Harry Maguire? Because personally, I don't see it. I think if he's not in the top three, he's definitely in the top five. Yeah, and, and I think, um, especially in the league, right, I think, I'm not sure, maybe someone else will, maybe someone slip in my mind. And But I think in the Ramos of, is in that um, discussion, but... But in regards to Harry the Premier Maguire's League, I think, would he go close to the PFA team of the year alongside Van Dijk? I mean, maybe there's another defender in there somewhere I'm, I'm missing. But um, I think he'd be, he'd be in worth a shout, I think. I'm not disagreeing with you. But speaking Make of some, someone who should go into the PFA team of the year, someone who Solskjaer definitely wanted during pre-season uh, but didn't get the deal done for whatever reason, Bruno Fernandes, um, PFA team of the year? Well, he is a Portuguese magnifico, and I think every team could use a little bit. Um, Did you see the interview he did with... Yeah, it was a good one. I don't... Uh, uh, the the lady from BBC. Sorry, I don't know her yeah, name. Um, Sky Sports. Um, Laura. Sky Sports. Someone. Mate, brilliant. He he sung his own chant. He heard it over it. Yeah, and he told he sort of though he questioned him on that when he shushed um, Pep Guardiola, and he was honest. He said he disrespected me at the time, so I disrespected him. 
What I love about Bruno is the mentality. You can tell he's a winner. We didn't just buy a brilliant footballer. We brought a we brought someone who, and if you believe the reports that came out of the Everton game, it was Bruno was holding players accountable. We don't draw. We have to win. He's got that mentality. No game is just he believes that we need the three points. We need to win all the trophies. He's got that real mentality. I love to see. This side's really like, like what he's just so refreshing. And I think, look, we don't know what will happen in terms of Pogba, but whether Pogba stays or not, I think we've got a ready-made reply. And I think the way he puts himself in the game, the way he reads the game, um, again, the assists in the dark with Martial, he's just such a fine footballer. He's just thinking well above what anyone else on the pitch is and got a real world-class player on our hands. I really do. Well, we have Bruno for a long time, hopefully. Um, I'm sure he's on a long contract and hopefully it looks like he'll extend that contract after he wins us the FA Cup and the Europa League this season. Assuming we play, who knows? That's a debate for another day. But someone we're not sure about his future is the greatest Nigerian of all time, Odian Agalo. Okay, well, we can sit here and have a bit of a laugh about it, and he's been good, but in, look, his goal against the Austrian side was fantastic. And he's come in and done exactly what's needed. He's filled a gap to allow, well, not allow Marcus Rashford, but Marcus Rashford's injured, so he's filled that gap. He's allowed Martial to be on the bench and sort of not be overplayed, so he's done exactly what is needed from him. Do you think that's enough? Though It's almost you draw back to the Solskjaer comparison. When Solskjaer had that result against PSG, we gave it to him off emotion. If Agalo is doing this well, is there a sort of fear that any decision over his sort of future would be based on emotion and he's not really what we need moving forward? I'd sign him. I really would. We have to remember, again, and we, we when we were talking about Dan James, we made this point. If you look at a player for what he is, then there is no issue. We're not looking at Agalo as a world-class striker who's going to start every week and score us 30 goals. What we're saying is he's a squad player. You bring him in as you need him. He can make an impact off the bench. He can play in different systems. It gives you another option. It gives you um, flexibility with your tactics. That's exactly what we need. I think if you ask Solskjaer, what's your prototype of a number nine? I think he wants someone like a Haaland. He wants someone with pace. But he also wants someone who's very comfortable with their back to goal. Maybe that perfect striker doesn't exist at the moment in the market. Maybe it's Haaland. Maybe Haaland's the one he wants. But maybe you have to wait two years before you can get that deal done. So if that's the case, why not bring in an Agallo who the bench? I think Martial's really stepped up since Agallo. Important point to make here when you're talking about Agallo. It's actually forced Martial to up his performance. With Fernandez and Martial building some sort of understanding, but it's also been the kick up the bar Martial's probably needed because there's been no competition for that. I think it, I don't know about you, mate, but I just he scored four goals already. He's got as many goals as Sanchez does. Yeah, no, I've seen that. I think that you do need to apply, and I know you're not sort of overreacting, but you do need to apply a little bit of context. Two of the goals. Um, was it two or one? No, sorry, one goal in Austria. I think one of the goals, two of the goals came against Derby. Etc. But his performances have been good. But um, I think his goals have come against lesser opposition. Although he scored, he scored one good one. Was a who did we play? He scored a decent goal or against a big team? Did he or did he miss the chance? I forget. Um, well, I think it was a Wolves. Opportunity no, against. Not wolves. Um, it wasn't Wolves uh, when he came off the bench. 
scored on the tip of my tongue. They scored a tap in, but that was sort of an important game compared to. Was it the Chelsea game? Was it Chelsea? It might have been Chelsea. Had a good opportunity. Um, And he came on in like the 89th minute, and he could have scored, and he hit the post. I'm sure the listeners are absolutely screaming at us because it will come to us. Everton, you had a good opportunity. Yeah, but um, you just mentioned him there. I think if you go to a Solskjaer's transfer business in terms of the incomings, oh, look, I don't want to say 10 out of 10, but my God, it's close to an 8 or a 9 out of 10. I think everyone agrees with that. But such a big part of it, just two players I want to touch on it, is the outs. And not outs in regards to the quality of players. These two players are players that have had good careers and will probably go on to have very good careers elsewhere. But I think the statement that was made by getting rid of these two players, and you could almost join them together in terms because they obviously went to the same club, the Lukaku and Sanchez. And I think regardless of the players, you can argue one should have stayed or one should have gone, etc. Whatever your opinion about that is fine. But getting that, and I don't want to slate the players personally, but just that type of character, not type of character, but just that type of baggage. Lukaku came with baggage, Sanchez came with baggage. It was just important to get them out the door. And I think the Solskjaer definitely deserves credit for it. He just sort of said, yep, you two aren't Man United players. You'd be good to have here, but I'm trying to build something else. You're not, you're not a part of it. Try your luck elsewhere, please. Yeah, I think both players are... And again, this isn't a criticism. I think both players are selfish. I think both players are looking up for the best interest for themselves and their own, which is fine. Um, when you're 25, 26 year age, I can understand you want to be the stunning striker every week, and that's fine. But if that's the player that you want to be, then you probably don't fit in at Manchester United because the club comes first. And I really respect him for doing that. Particularly the Sanchez one, I really, I really congratulate because at the time, Martial got injured um, against Wolves from memory. And we had no striker. He could have kept Sanchez. And in fact, in that press conference, he was asked, do you keep him now? He goes, yeah, possibly. But then the very next uh, press conference he has, he goes, Sanchez, you got to love Solskjaer. He plays the media very well. But um, look, he, he took a brave call, but I think he's behaved in the way. When people say you know, he, he, was, he was naive or stupid, release all these players and not bring anyone in, it was the behavior of a manager who told you, you will have time. You will have time to bring in the players you want. It will take a bit of time, but we'll we'll allow you that. But you have to get rid of these guys first. And I think you're seeing the fruits of that, Hernandez. And- yeah, no, it's um, hard to disagree with anything there. I think we will leave the transfers there. I think there's been one or two that we could touch on. Herrera leaving on a free, etc. Small and on loans, but that's obviously the main part of the business. But I How think- can you not make... Some sort of praise for our great captain Ashley. How could you do Ashley Young as well? God, well, Inter Milan have a part of this rebuild. I think you have to take your hats off to Antonio Conte and Inter Milan because they say Sanchez, Lukaku, Ashley Young. Um, Solskjaer must have some bad photos of the guy. I don't know how they're actually all faring in Italy. Obviously, Lukaku is doing well. Well, To be honest, all of them are probably in quarantine at the moment, but um, fair play to them. I hope they're enjoying life in Italy. But before we wrap up. I think we'll just a little bit on this season. Like we'll talk about Solskjaer's time at a whole, but this season, we'll, actually, we'll start on a low. We'll try and finish on a high. What do you think's been the low point this season in terms of results, periods, moments, etc.? Ooh, low point. I it's think hard for me, thing for me was wanna... it the Newcastle away. I think that was one where I. Oh yeah, when budget long scar. Uh... 
Longstuff squad? Yeah, yeah one, of the, one of the brothers. The one on debut. The one yeah. who didn't even have a name. We didn't even know who... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that game, Tom. I completely forgot it. In fact, how could I forget it? That was the podcast we did where you famously said, I'm done with Fred. Yeah, I don't no, want to see was. him anymore. I, I could not see a footballer there. He was just so far off the pace. Those Longstaff brothers just said, every time Fred had the ball, they just said, I'll take that ball, please, and just took it off him. And yeah, I hold my hands up. I thought Fred was absolutely done there. But um, yeah, it goes to show I know absolutely nothing. Another low point for me was the Burnley one. It's actually probably a recent one. Um, that, that was the time where, obviously, as big a fan of Solskjaer as I am, I just wanted to get rid of him then just because the abuse he was copying from fans I thought was was just shocking, I, I thought. And um, I just wanted it to end. Just say, get him out. Let someone else come in and take the abuse. If Pochettino comes in and fans hate on him, well, I don't love Pochettino, so I can deal with that. But when you see it to someone you love, I remember that feeling, which wasn't too long ago. Um, Solskjaer's turned it around since, but that loss at home to Burnley was a... Um, it was this year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was our last loss, maybe. I think it's it's changed since then, the yeah. return in form. But actually, we'll, we'll go on to a high. We'll f- finish on a high. Any real high points of this season? There's a couple oh, of things. It has to be the most... Well, it doesn't. It? Um, that was a brilliant game. And in fact, again, I think it just came to... It was just refreshing to see just what Fernandez has done. I think that's a real big high point as well. Just that. that. Um, I think Aguilar's been good, and I think all else been good, but... The way Fernandez has come in and we haven't lost the game, I think there's something in that. I really do. And the derby, for sure, I think if I can make it a two-piece high point, it's getting that deal done. Because there was a point there where it did look like it was just really okay. grateful it that he's a United out, player. It? it dragged for weeks. So almost, it we did. almost knew at the start of January, okay, Bruno Fernandez will sign. Suddenly it was the 10th of January, suddenly suddenly it was the 20th of January, suddenly it was the 26th of January. You think, oh my God, it's not going to happen. But eventually Woodward found the direct line to Portugal and it got done. Now, just think, we're just about to wrap up the podcast now. This suspension, the, or the Premier League suspension, we have no idea what's going to happen. By the time you listen to this podcast, maybe there is a development. I highly doubt it. I think it's something will drag out. They said they'll revisit the situation in April 3rd or April 4th in terms of returning to football. I'm far from an expert, but all the experts seem to suggest that the problem won't even be close to being sort of a problem in England, if so to say, at um, by that time. They think maybe we're two or three months away from coronavirus really being a problem in England. So if they think it's an issue now, could you imagine what the issue will be like in April, in May, in June, etc.? So who knows when football is going to come back. But just in regards to Solskjaer's position, let's say the season finished now. Okay, so we're in fifth or sixth and we don't qualify for the Champions League. If the, Say the season gets null and void and we go back to Europa League next season. Do you think finishing sixth now in the form that we're in would keep him in a job compared to if we finished the sixth at the end of a full season? I think you have to keep him in the job now. It's very hard, obviously, to speak in a hypothetical situation. I think if we finish sixth uh, at the end of the season, um, assuming all games played, I think he'd struggle. I really do. But in the current circumstances, with our form, the way we were going, I'm almost confident we'd get top four. And look, I can hope for the best. I hope football returns. But I understand that 
the health and safety of people and you know the world really is what has to come first yeah but look i agree with you i think if you're looking at it if the season ends today he has to stay in the job i think he's i don't know if he wins us the premiership i don't know if he wins us the champions league but i do know that if and when the time comes that he leaves no doubt about it the club will be in a better place than what it was when he came in yeah, 100%. 100% agree with that. And I think that's part of the job, I think. We'll, I've mentioned on this podcast a lot. I said, well, what is Solskjaer's job? Are we expecting a trophy? Are we expecting this? Are we expecting that? But I think some of the work he's doing behind the scenes, and it might not be behind the scenes work, but just things like maybe the sign-ins, the right type of players being introduced, etc. So visual stuff you do see. I think that work he's doing is going to pay sort of benefits in the long run. But I think that just about runs actually just on the Premier League suspension. We just said what might happen, what could happen, what it means for Solskjaer, etc. As a fan now watching, and we're struggling now, I haven't even been a week without football since the Austria game, but we're already struggling. I didn't know what I did on the weekend. Like, don't have it was the longest weekend of my life, and it wasn't even international break. But just um, as a fan, what do you want to happen? Because let's address the elephant in the room. Liverpool might not win the league if it's null and void, but then if it's null and void, it's not fantastic for United. So where do you stand? Do you want the sensible answer or do you want me to just be nuts? Well, do I want to be sensi- myself? I'll, I'll be sensible. Look, I enjoy the Europa League. I Maybe this sounds bitter. Okay, kill me for it. I'm happy for the season to be void and Liverpool don't win it. I, I don't care what happens to us. If Liverpool get this close and don't win the league... Okay, people's health is a main issue, and I understand that. And Hopefully everyone gets out of this healthy. But I am fully on board with just cancelling the season now and Liverpool not winning the league. I'd be over the moon with it. Call me me bitter, 100% I am. But I would love nothing more than it. You know what's hilarious, Tom? Um, <laughs> there was a period there where you know we saw the we saw it kicking off between Iran and the US, and we said, okay, World War Three, that'll stop Liverpool winning the league. Then there was climate change, that'll stop Liverpool winning the league. Right. And now this has happened. Like you could not write it. Like I'm just trying to find the lighter side of what's obviously a very serious matter, but <laughs> you seriously couldn't write this stuff, right? Well, one hundred percent, it's a serious oh. matter. But Liverpool winning the league's a serious matter as well. And could you imagine the reaction? Look, they deserve to win the league, 100%. Of course they do. But they're two games away. If the season was just written off, I, look, I, I, it's not a trophy for Man United, but I'm taking very big amounts of joy from that, seeing that. So fingers crossed. But in saying that, in a lighthearted, look, obviously um, people's health and safety, especially the fans and players, does come first and foremost. But um, it is a bit of a ray of sunshine that, the potential is there for Liverpool to um, go another 30 years without winning the title. I don't think the season is going to be void. I think that is the least likely scenario. And the reason I say that is because I just think of the legal repercussions, particularly with the amount of money in the English game. Mm. I think you're opening a can of worms. We have to think about the teams battling relegation here. The amount of money that, especially the Premier League money that these clubs rely on, if you said to those battle, those teams in the relegation battle, uh, you know what, I know you're probably a couple points out, but that's the difference between millions and millions of dollars, your club survival. 
and a whole other range of things, you know, sponsorship and to, so forth. You have to treat both ends of the table equally. Okay, Liverpool deserves exactly. to win the league. Do you give Liverpool the title? But then who do you... Do you give the team in 18th relegation when they say, no, we could have got out of it? Or do you give United who want that extra £50 million? Pounds? Well, United are in 5th or 6th, but we say, oh, we could have made Champions League, so you're robbing us of that. So I think it needs to be made sort of equally across the board, and I don't... I, do not know what the answer is. Um, I don't think the FA or the Premier League know what the answer is, and I can't really, I can't criticise them for that because it is an absolute can of worms they've opened it, or unfortunately had to open. But um, I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the future coming weeks. I think there seems to be a meeting later this week. Um, what will come of that? I don't know. I'm sure they'll say they'll make an announcement in April, but um, who knows? Anything else you want to add on this week's pod? No, um, just the just the general boring stuff. To be honest, I just want to wish all that is obviously good health, stay safe, um, and look. We'll try and keep the podcast going as much as we can. I know that it's uncertain, but if there's anything we like to do, it's talk about and focus on the positives. And if that gives you half an hour a week, where you can just switch off and forget about the crazy, uncertain world. And then I hope that we can do that. Yeah, and if anyone does, we always put them, and one or two people have got in touch, we'll try and do over the coming weeks to do a podcast with. But as I say, we're doing this one online, so hopefully the audio has come through fine. We're far from experts, but hopefully it has been an enjoyable listen. But if you do want to meet up at the pub, and obviously we won't be shaking hands, but we can do the elbow thing or fist bump or whatever they're doing these days. But um, I think one of the ones, because a lot of the, with no football now, I think we'll release a lot of pre-recorded podcasts, etc. So not really relevant to news, but sort of like ones we've done in the past about a player's career or combined 11 or season review, etc. So if anyone does have a favourite player they want to talk about for an hour over a beer or, or even online, get in touch because we're going to need content because there is not going to be any football to talk about, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future. My gut feeling says it'll be next season before we see any football, but hopefully I'm wrong. Um, I'll definitely see you, Larry, before next season, hopefully, I think. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, look, if as long as we're healthy and happy, happily see you at the pub. No, a pleasure as always. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening, and hopefully you hear from us with a positive podcast very soon. So, cheers. Bye. Cheers.